0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall Today, we're introducing you to Tang Sauce. (laughs) Tang Sauce born John Mansell Young is a multi-instrumentalist and Hartford rapper who's made a name for himself in the local music scene. Coming up, we'll hear him perform live and talk with him about his aspirations as an artist. Now before we get to Tang Sauce, we wanted to revisit President Trump's executive order on immigration. Signed one week ago today, it made headlines around the world after some travelers to the US were turned away at airports and in some cases deported. The order calls for several things, including banning citizens of seven Muslim majority nations from entering the US. A federal judge granted a stay to block immediate deportations of people with valid visas last weekend. But that's only temporary. We wanted to find out more about how the executive order is impacting the already complicated immigration system in our country. Who better to ask than immigration attorneys? We'll talk with them in just a moment, and later we'll check in on how one community in Connecticut is working to help its undocumented residents prepare if. Federal immigration enforcement raids begin. It's been a week. Has your opinion changed about the president's order to halt refugees into this country and ban people from seven mostly Muslim nations? We want to hear from you today. 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wmpr.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I want to welcome uh, back to the show Anthony Collins, who's an immigration attorney with the firm Collins & Martin in Weathersfield, Connecticut. Anthony, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Also here in studio is Anna Cabot. She's a teaching fellow in the Asylum and Human Rights Clinic at UConn Law School. Hi, Anna. Hi.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Before we start asking you questions about uh, this executive order, I'm curious, as immigration attorneys, you know, what's your reaction to this immigration order? I'll start with you, Anna.
2: <laughs> um. I think I got, I've been asked this question a few times, and I keep thinking, is, is nausea an emotion? Um, it's, I'm kind of appalled by the larger implications of the order, this order as well as the other two immigration-related orders that came out last week, but also just kind of intimidated by the, um, the amount of chaos that is coming from the implementation of these orders. This order, especially Anthony Collins,
1: um, I, I was pretty shocked by the uh, um, the effect of the order in terms of how not only does it uh, uh, ban all refugees from entering the United States for the next four months, but at one point it tried to include permanent residents from the enumerated countries, which was um, shocking, and uh, and then people who have been entering the United States on Non-immigrant visas. It just seemed to lump all these people together without distinguishing their different immigration statuses, Um, and that's unfortunate because it's caused so much hardship because of that.
0: Explain a little bit of that to our listeners, Anthony. When you mentioned legal permanent residents, people with green cards, and how it's a long process um, for them uh, before they can get that green card, you know, um, why was that so problematic when this order was signed uh, late Friday?
1: Well, uh, people who have permanent residents it means what it means they have a, a permanent residence in the united states they're returning to family to jobs uh it's a status that many uh are, are it is a long process that that they um have worked very hard to get um and usually um they've had it for many many years so to uh turn somebody around at the airport is shocking and they're also in a different category when they're coming back to the united states they're not applicants for admission like people entering with non-immigrant visas. Um, so this blanket denial of entry for somebody who has permanent residence, I, I think that the administration quickly saw that they had made a mistake in that regard.
0: And you said, so that was, I think, Sunday, um, right after that order was signed. Friday, uh, there was some from the administration that this would not apply to people with green cards. But is that what people were experiencing uh, who may have been caught traveling that weekend and when they tried to enter back into the states? Go
2: ahead, Anna. No, sorry for interrupting. My understanding was that it was there was just a lot of confusion about this issue. Sometimes people with green cards were uh, being allowed to enter, though subjected to additional screening questions. Some people there be being turned around and deported once they reached the U.S. Some people weren't even being allowed to get on airplanes. And we have heard that some people were being kind of coerced or intimidated into signing... Um, into signing uh, forms relinquishing their residency, which is really, truly disturbing. Um, so it, at the beginning, it was uh, very inconsistent, and I think even through the weekend and to the beginning of the week.
1: And, and I would tell anybody, any permanent resident of those countries, even now, not to travel because mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily trust uh, their interpretation um, Uh, or their um, assurances that they would be able to return to the United States.
0: And we're hearing that for some universities, including Yale University, have counseled uh, people within their community um, who may have uh, green cards that it may not be a good idea for you to leave the country. So we're seeing ripple effects of this executive order. At the same time, it, it's been an interesting week politically. Um, you know, Just yesterday, the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General announced it's going to review how Homeland Security implemented this recent executive order. Um, beside, they'll also look at how they uh, adhered to court orders that came into play. Last weekend, and allegations of individual misconduct on the part of Homeland Security personnel. Is this investigation at this time surprising to you, Anthony?
1: No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that they are doing that. And uh, I hope the inspector general that has uh, started that investigation, I hope he's able to keep his job. <laughs>
0: And you're speaking to the fact that there's been a lot of of uproar within the federal government, so maybe not the person at the top of the agency um, who's been hired or appointed uh, by uh, the Trump administration, but the people that are doing the work within
2: the bureaucracy.
1: That's correct.
2: Go ahead. Can I comment on this? And I think it's important to realize that this um, investigation isn't looking into the constitutionality or the morality even of the executive orders. It's looking into the implementation of them. So... It, it's, a, it's a little bit distinct from figuring out whether we should be doing this mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to whether, how have we been doing this. But I think, especially, the, looking into how the court orders have been um, followed is a very important step.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Alpa Today, we're taking a deeper look into the president's executive order on immigration. Now, how does Trump's order impact you? Are you one of these legal permanent residents who is canceling plans to leave the country? You can join the conversation eight six zero two seven five seven two six six, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Um, so we we're talking about uh, obviously the the ban on refugees, um, banning certain citizens from uh, certain Muslim uh, majority countries, but in terms of refugees and. Asylum Seekers, Uh, and again, you're a teaching fellow in the Asylum and Human Rights Clinic at UConn Law School. Um, How does this order impact them? So people that are already approved, are they also being denied?
2: Yes, they are. So the distinction between refugees and asylum seekers are asylum seekers are people within the United States who are seeking asylum or refugee status. Refugees are people who have been deemed to have refugee status outside of the United States and that are being resettled within the United States. So refugees themselves, the refugee admissions program has been halted for four months. For asylum seekers in the United States, it's a little less clear how these orders affect them. Uh, One thing that we're likely to see is uh, increased um, kind of security vetting procedures. But we've also heard that uh, USCIS, uh, the agency... uh, with the responsibility of adjudicating asylum applications, has been instructed to cease processing asylum applications for asylum seekers from those seven countries. Um, so there could be, you know, with no particular end time or reinstatement time in sight. So that would vary uh, obviously very strongly affect asylum seekers as well as refugees from those seven countries.
0: And these are individuals, you said, that are already in the country <clears throat> yes. seeking asylum. So what does that mean if their application um, is, is pending or in limbo? Can they be deported?
2: Well, it's been the practice that people um, who have pending asylum claims cannot be deported, but it's unclear what that means at this point.
0: And, and Anthony, I want to turn back to you again. You've been an immigration attorney for some time. You know, Throughout different administrations, um, there are different memos that come out. Um, Obviously, under President Obama, there were executive orders related to immigration. How is this particular one that uh, President Trump signed, um, how is that impacting your day-to-day job and the calls you're getting from your clients and just a lot of this uncertainty?
1: Well, uh, there definitely has been a trickle-down effect. Um, We have a number of clients that uh, report to Immigration and Customs Enforcement on a regular basis. And... uh, uh, the other day we uh, reported with a client and um, we were told that uh, they had 30 appointments that day and of those 30 only 3 people showed up and that's that's unfortunate be- because people um, were trusting this program, this deferred action program, um, they felt that, we, that they would be treated fairly um, and I think now they're scared I, I think they're concerned that they're going to be detained uh, and then deported. Um, so that, that's one of the effects of, of these sort of orders.
0: You know, despite a lot of the opposition that we've heard from Democrats and others who believe the order is unconstitutional, strikes against the values of, of inclusion and tolerance in our country, a Reuters poll out this week finds that 49% of Americans agree with Trump's order. I wanted to take a quick call now. Uh, Greg's calling from Winchester. Greg, you're on the show.
3: Hi, Lucy. It's Greg from Winchester. Go um, ahead, please. I just wanted to state my support for President Trump. You know, I think for once we're seeing a president who's putting uh, the lives and, uh, you know, freedom of Americans first. We have to put Americans first. It's obvious that uh, there's a worldwide jihad by the Muslim Ummah against Christians. And I think that we absolutely have to have this ban to protect the Christians living in America. Where are we going to go when we asylum? from these Muslims
0: who are killing us. Well, that's a blanket generalization. Um, Not all Muslims are are looking to kill Americans, Gregory. But we get your point. I wanted to let Anthony Collins uh, respond.
1: Well, uh, one of the things that I think that um, uh, has not been been considered here is uh, people talk about refugees. Um, Being a refugee, actually, there's a legal definition of what a refugee is in in order to qualify for that status. in order to qualify, they have to demonstrate that they've been persecuted or they fear persecution due to race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group, Group, and that they've not been firmly resettled in another country, and that they are admissible into the United States. Um, those are very strict criteria. So It doesn't mean that somebody who wants to move to the United States can just come here by claiming um, that they're afraid to live in their country, that they're afraid of crime, are afraid of, you know, narco-traffickers or things like that. Um, They have to meet the definition of refugee, and they have to be admissible. And I don't know of any other procedure or vetting process that is as strict as it is with refugees.
0: And we've heard that um, in the past, but there, again, still seems to be uh, this policy change happening from the top. You You know, where do Where do we go from here if we hear from administration that, you know, these people are a threat, even though the process, we hear from people within the process saying that it's very well vetted.
1: And and, um, it should also be understood that upon entering the United States, refugees can apply for permanent residence a year after entering. And that process is another vetting uh, process. There's background checks done and so forth. So it's not like people are entering the United States and then just necessarily disappearing, almost all of them apply for that status um, after they've been here for a year
0: and before we go to break, I just want to maybe I'll go back to you, Anna Cabot again from Yukon Law School. when we talk about people that have legal permanent residence, who are these people? If for people who don't they may, who may think that they're just looking at at refugees coming in here, um, you know are they a threat? but these people are are researchers at universities. I mean, can we talk through who are the people that are that have green cards in this country?
2: Well, uh, that's a very good point. As Anthony said, refugees can become legal permanent residents, but also researchers from universities, people who've had um, employment in the U.S., employment visas in the U.S. for a long time. But we should uh, acknowledge that the overwhelming majority of green card holders are here because they have family members who are U.S. citizens or legal permanent residents. And so to deny access. Uh, deny entry to the United States for green card holders is largely tearing up families.
0: And Anthony, uh, before we head to break again, you know, now that we have heard that, again, this ban is uh, looking at seven uh, Muslim-majority nations, um, do you anticipate that, I mean, what is your take on whether this will be expanded to other countries?
1: Um, I don't really know, but I'm uh, curious as to why it it did not include Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and some of the other countries. Um, there hasn't been, I don't think, any adequate explanation for that.
0: Countries where we know um, people that have come from those countries have perpetrated uh, terrorist acts uh, in this country, including 9-11. Anna?
2: No, I just wanted to in, to uh, include the fact that there um if we're looking at this, even if we accept the premise that this order would be effective in preventing terrorist entry into the United States, the actual order, the choice of the countries, it's extremely baffling considering these are not the countries from which the few people who have committed terrorist acts, the few non-U.S. citizen people who have committed U- terrorist acts in the U.S. have come from.
1: And one other thing in and my. Uh, reference to the, call, the caller, is that um, many Muslims that come to the United States, actually, um, I, I think the Muslim community in the United States is probably the most liberal um, Muslim community there is in the world. And that in and of itself is important in terms of uh, that expression to other Mus- Muslims throughout the, the world.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchil. Immigration attorneys Anthony Collins and Anna Cabot are here. Uh, We're taking a deeper dive into that executive order that President Trump signed last week. Now, he's promised other immigration crackdowns beyond that executive order. He's also called out so-called sanctuary cities. What does that mean for places in Connecticut like New Haven, which has been very welcoming to its undocumented residents? We're going to find out after the break how some community groups in New Haven are reaching out to these residents. That's coming up. This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall Today we're looking into President Trump's latest executive order related to immigration. Again, it was signed late last week. Uh, before we move on in the conversation, I want to take a quick call. Christina is calling from Southington. Christina, you're on the air. Oh doesn't look like Christina is there anymore. So we're going to move on now. When uh, President Trump, when he was a candidate on the campaign trail, he promised to be tough on immigration, including a Muslim ban and reversing President Obama's DACA program, which allows undocumented youth to work and live here without fear of being deported. Reversing DACA looks less likely with uh, President Trump saying now that he's been elected, he's focused more on deporting criminals. But he's promising other actions like saying he'd pull federal funding from so-called sanctuary cities that don't co- cooperate with immigration agents to detain people who are living in the country illegally. If that happens, how would cities in Connecticut like New Haven be affected? The Elm City has long been welcoming to all residents, including its undocumented population. I wanted to bring into the conversation now Ana Maria Rivera Forestieri, who's the Director of Advocacy and Program Development at Junto for Progressive Action in New Haven. Ana, welcome to the show.
4: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: So we know that Elm City um, has experienced federal immigration raids before. That was back in in 2007. More than 30 people were arrested in an early morning raid uh, by ICE, or Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents. Coincidentally, that was right after uh, the city of New Haven had uh, approved and moved forward on an ID program for all of its residents, including uh, those that are undocumented. Are people fearful that it will happen again?
4: Well, we definitely have uh fear in the community right after um, President Trump was elected. Uh, you know, we work with the community pretty closely. Uh, people were fearful. I mean, it's, I think it's a fear that our community has had for, for a really long time, even under President Obama. But under President Trump, the threat of family separation is even more real. Uh, so the fear of raids coming to New Haven uh, is definitely a real one.
0: So, how are residents, in in one sense, preparing? Obviously, you're with Junta, which is an advocacy group um, in the city of New Haven. How are you reaching out to them?
4: So, right after uh, the election, we um, Junta and groups like Unidad Latina Acción called for a meeting with the mayor. Um, where we wanted to uh, bring the community and have her listen what the fears were, what the concerns were under President Trump. Um, and so we, were, we have been focusing on two ends, on the policy and working with the city of New Haven to implement policies that are going to further protect our residents, both in the schools and the police department and um, citywide. Uh, and we are also uh, crafting community defense workshops um, that teach residents what their rights are regardless of their immigration status, what to do in in the event that there's an immigration rate at home, an immigration uh, rate at work, um, how they have to respond, Um, and in addition to that, uh, really preparing folks um, and and coming up with emergency preparedness plans, you know, if and when immigration comes. Um, inevitably, we know that perhaps some people uh, might end up uh, tied up in the deportation dragon. How do you fight your deportation case? How do you connect to the resources to be able to fight your case and stay here?
0: And Anna, could you talk uh, more specifically about uh, collaborating with City Hall, you know, again, because we're hearing from the administration, uh, federal administration, that, um, you know, they're threatening to take away funding towards law enforcement for cities that don't work uh, with uh, ICE agents. I'm just curious um, what has been the collaboration and, um, and, you know, how would City of New Haven respond if that were to happen?
4: Well, I think the collaboration has been tremendous. The City of New Haven, the Mayor, um, the Acting Police Chief um, have actually stood by us and have said that they will defend our sanctuary city status, and we're very proud of that. Um, and actually, we, you know, have continued to work. Uh, the threats that are coming from Washington have not affected our work, have not affected our decision to move forward with implemented strong, stronger policies. We're actively working with the New Haven Public School System to make sure that our community defense workshops are uh, available to parents. Parents and to families, uh, so I don't think that the threat has affected us. I think, if anything, it has united the community even more.
0: I want to turn back to our guests in studio. We have two immigration attorneys here: uh, Anna Cabot, teaching fellow in the Asylum and Human Rights Clinic at UConn Law, also Anthony Collins, immigration attorney out of Weathersfield. Um, when we hear about um, this threat that money could be pulled from these so-called sanctuary cities, you know, how could that could that even happen?
1: Um, I don't think that they offered a definition of what a sanctuary city is to begin with. Um, but one thing I'd like to point out is that there's the suggestion that these cities are protecting dangerous criminals and um, and that's why uh, they have to um, lose federal funding or they, the administration is taking that position, and that is not true. Um, ICE has been able to go into these cities to detain people that have serious criminal records and start removal proceedings or enforce old orders of deportation.
2: Anna, well, the I think the for a lot of people uh, it's difficult to understand what a sanctuary city is again, and mm-hmm. the government in or the president in the executive order hasn't defined it, but. When you think sanctuary, you think the sanctuary movement of the 1980s, where actual churches were providing physical protection for people. And that is only vaguely analogous to what a sanctuary city is, which has much more to do with cooperation between local law enforcement and federal immigration enforcement, Uh, talking about communicating uh, information about people or detaining people longer than they would have been detained for local law enforcement violations. but uh, there are two actual um, federalism uh, issues which would go to, to indicate that uh, Trump's threats to withhold federal funding, actually withhold federal funding except for law enforcement funding from sanctuary cities, would be defeated in the courts. And one is that um, the federal government can't commandeer local law enforcements to do federal law enforcement work. And that was uh, most recently seen in actually a, a, a gun control case where uh, local law enforcement couldn't be pushed to do background checks for federal law enforcement agencies. And the, also that it's rare for the federal government to be able to use funding as kind of a gun to the head of states and municipalities as seen in uh, the Affordable Care Act litigation most recently. So it's not obviously not clear, but it looks like this would not um, be upheld in court.
0: And it's interesting you brought up the legality of this threat to withhold funds, because I understand that San Francisco um, has just sued the president over um, his executive order. Um, so I wanted to go back to Ana Maria uh, from Junta. Um, you know, there's been talk about creating sanctuary schools in New Haven. Can you tell us what that would mean, Ana?
4: Well, it, it would be in a, a number of things, and we're working to create a, a policy. But uh, what would a school do if immigration comes to the school asking for information about a student or about the family of a student, um, what would immigration do if they go to the home of a parent and the child is currently in school? So it's really uh, the school preparing um, to both answer to immigration requests um, uh, that you know, seek information about their people, but also how do you work with the students that might be affected by the immigration system outside of the school.
0: I'll turn back to Anthony Collins, an immigration attorney. Is that something that ICE would even think to do, to go to a school to, to detain a, a student?
1: Well, um, people within the United States, whatever their status, they all have the same constitutional protections. And for an ICE agent to go into a public school asking about a student, uh, that that would be a violation of, I think, numerous privacy statutes and so forth. I don't think that they would even be able to get that sort of access. Um, So I don't think that would be a a concern. Same in terms of going to people's homes and and, uh, apprehending people at home. They have Fourth Amendment rights uh, to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Um, An ICE agent just can't walk into their home and detain them.
0: And we saw that, I think, when um, when we mentioned the 2007 raids that happened in New Haven, the way some of those individuals were arrested, I think they were then eventually let go because of the way they were sought after.
2: Anna. I just wanted to bring up the fact that under the Obama administration, it was the policy for ICE not to try and enforce... Uh, immigration laws or detain people at certain types of locations, like hospitals, like schools, like churches, Um, and kind of as a gesture of respect towards those spaces and the importance they played in the community, is my impression. My impression is also that those sorts of priorities are now in the wind, basically, and that we can uh, potentially the uh, immigration and Customs Enforcement will try and pick people up at those places. And, and, and uh, another
1: area that is of great concern is ICE agents going into Superior Court and detaining people. That I, I know that judges um, and defense attorneys and prosecutors are concerned about the legality of doing that.
0: Um, Ana Maria Rivera-Forestier, again, Director of Advocacy and Program Development at Junta, uh, is on the phone with us. And you mentioned something about working with uh, schools uh, to help children who may, um, you know, be dealing with if a parent uh, were uh, taken by immigration uh, and customs enforcement. I wanted to bring into the conversation Edwin Colon, an attorney, a senior attorney with the Center for Children's Advocacy. Edwin, welcome to the show.
5: Um, thank you. Good morning.
0: So we're hearing about the sentiment, um, specifically in New Haven, from families that are fearful. Um, they may not be letting their children go to school. They're they're uh, laying low, so to speak, um, because they're they're worried about being detained. How is the Center for Children's Advocacy reacting uh, to this and and working with uh, with with residents in the state?
5: Uh, so we certainly have seen an increase in calls um, to our uh, call-in line as many legal aid organizations are in the state. Uh, before and uh, after the election uh, related to immigration status and and, and fear of apprehension. Um, We've also received calls of um, students reporting uh, incidents of being bullied on account of their immigration status. Um, And and, and I sort of want to emphasize here that um, one of the things that uh, many community organizations are trying to do is To provide some safety for students and families as they go about their business of daily life uh, with as little interruption as possible. Um, There is uh, well-documented studies that show that um, children uh, suffer mental health trauma on account of family separation or the fear of family separation. The majority of uh, children who are in mixed status families are U.S. citizens. Um, And one important point here is that uh, the law of the land remains that uh, students have a right to a public education without regards to their status. Uh, So we want to reassure students that schools are safe locations. And just as Ana Maria commented, I think, uh, working with school districts to ensure that they are in compliance, they have a plan in place for if and when ICE uh, decides to uh, enforce and... uh, immigration uh, arrests at a school or near a school. Um, it's, it's good practice and good policy, and it's in you know, keeping with their legal obligations under present law. Um, so um, there is a sensitive locations practice um, that it's in place uh, from the Obama administration um, that you know, it's not good practice to go into schools to conduct these raids Uh, There's certainly an impact on not just on immigrant students, but uh, in the entire school community. It's very disruptive to the education process. Um, So as a community, we need to come together to make sure that our schools remain safe from that kind of intrusion.
0: Um, the Center for Children's Advocacy is is actually participating in a panel today. Um, the topic is immigrant youth, fear and anxiety in post-election America. So, who's on this panel? Are you working with school officials, mental health providers uh, to respond uh, to these communities?
3: Yeah.
5: So, this was a panel that was convened by the Child and Family Guidance Center in Bridgeport, um, and uh, the focus here is immigrant youth and the, the fear and anxiety that kids have been uh, and their families have experienced since election. Um, In the panel, it's uh, Fran Rabinowitz, who's a former intern superintendent of schools for Bridgeport, Uh, Terry Pyle, who is a a patient director for Child and Family Guidance, and Michael Patota, who is the president. Um, It's a free webinar, and it's happening today starting at 1230, uh, and people can actually access the webinar uh, through uh, C as in child, F as in family, guidance.com slash webinar.
1: Um, We had a recent case where uh, uh, one of our clients was detained by immigration and was going to be deported, and immigration would not release him. Um, And he had had a a, a U.S. citizen child, um, and he had sole uh, custody of that child. And um, it was very difficult for us to... The child went into DCF custody because of his detention, and it was very difficult for us to eventually reunite that child uh, with her father. Um, Luckily, the... The the judge in superior court allowed DCF to bring the child to the airport when the father was being deported. Um, We were able to coordinate that. But what we learned from that, and I think this is really important for people out there who are undocumented, who have have children here, um, and either have an order of removal or do not have a defense to deportation, it's really important that they have a friend, somebody in the family be appointed as a co-guardian. So that person can take custody of the child, and DCF will not be involved.
0: I wanted to turn back to Ana Maria Rivera Forestieri from Junta for Progressive Action in New Haven. Before we let you go, Ana, you know, get, there are people in this country um, who believe that if someone is here, without, that someone is here illegally um, in this country, that, that the government has every right to um, deport them. And what's your take of, in terms of, of why you work so closely with the undocumented population in Connecticut?
4: Well, um, working so closely with the population, it takes a lot to come here to make the difficult decision to leave your home, to leave everything behind, um, to start a family here, to work here. Um, these are people that, you know, are part of our, our fabric of our society of make our country better, uh, make our country stronger. They create jobs. Um, and so uh, it's very easy to just say, send them back home uh, when this really is their, is their home and they want to be here and, and they contribute. So um that's, I guess, my answer.
0: I want to thank Ana Maria Rivera-Forestier again, uh, Director of Advocacy and Program Development at Junta for Progressive Action in New Haven, Connecticut. Also, Edwin Colon, Senior Staff Attorney at the Center for Children's Advocacy. Thank you both for your time today.
4: Thank, Thank you.
0: you so much. Uh, today, this is where we live. I'm Lucy nall We're taking a, a closer look at immigration. We've got two attorneys in studio to answer uh, some of your questions about not just this latest executive order, but again, our, our very complicated immigration system. Uh, Robert has a call from East Hampton. Robert, you're on the show.
3: Hi, good morning. Um, yeah, I, I think you just hit it the uh, nail on the head, as you just said, that uh, uh, doesn't the government have oh.
0: Robert, are you there? Robert, are you there?
3: Yeah, hello. Oh, sorry,
0: something happened with the phones. Go ahead oh. again. Start from the beginning.
3: Okay. Uh yeah, I think you hit it right, uh, the head uh the, the nail the head of the nail there that you mentioned that uh the US government has every right uh to deport uh illegal aliens. Uh I I guess I'm a little confused. I mean I believe it is the law. Uh if they come in here illegally that they should be deported. I mean, every uh decision has a consequence and um uh, the same with sanctuary cities. I mean, are they not breaking the federal law by harboring illegal aliens, and should there not be repercussions for that? Um, so I, I'm just confused by it. I, I don't. I mean, I guess the law is the law, and uh, I, I don't. I don't see where all the uh, the other um, issues come in. Uh, they should be playing by uh, by what the law states. So. I guess I'll take my comment off the air on that.
0: So. All right. Thank you for your call, Robert. Um, do you want to respond, Anthony? Um,
1: well, there are many defenses to deportation, and uh, the reality of the situation is is that uh, many of the people here um, have U.S. citizen children or spouses, family here. They're mixed families, and the law takes that into account and provides defenses to deportation based on that, such that if you're here for more than 10 years and you have immediate family here um, one of the defenses would be to would be cancellation of removal that would lead to permanent residence so um, other defenses also include asylum if you have a fear of returning to your country so um, it's not as clear-cut as the caller might think in terms of just simply deporting people it doesn't work that way
0: and Anna, before we go to break, uh, Anna Cabot from UConn uh, Law School, teaching fellow in the Asylum and Human Rights Clinic. I mean, what are you preparing for um, as we move forward? We've already seen a couple of this executive at order from President Trump. He, he's um, talked about um, targeting so-called sanctuary cities. I mean, what else do you think uh, could be changed within our immigration system?
2: Well, I know what um, in the clinic and in the kind of advocacy community, One of the major things we're preparing for is a vast increase in immigration detention across the United States and a real change in the priority, the immigration enforcement priorities from the Obama administration. Uh, During the Obama administration, uh, people who were seen as threats to national security, including people who had been convicted of felonies, uh, were kind of the top priority for deportation. Then the kind of next priority were people who had recently entered, people who had misdemeanor crimes. But this third category of people, people who had been here uh, for a while, people who had uh, not committed any crimes, people who had kind of contributed to society or been kind of victims of abuse or had family ties, could get their uh, deportation deferred in some ways. It wasn't legal status, but they weren't a priority for deportation. And that functioned to keep families together in really important ways. Now, what we've seen in some of the other executive orders is that those priorities for immigration enforcement have been thrown out. And the policy of, for a lot, for a lot of people kind of entering without authorization, the policy of uh, a small amount of detention and then letting people live within the United States until their immigration proceedings, that has also been changed to prioritize immigration detention. Uh, and so that's, those are major issues that we anticipate.
0: I want to thank Anna Cabot again from UConn Law School and Anthony Collins uh, from Collins and Martin and Wethersfield, two immigration attorneys. Thanks for taking some time today to, to talk about our, our complicated system in this country. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nolpithanchel. Coming up, the weekend is almost here. We're introducing you to an artist known as Tank Sauce. That's after the break.
6: By Sam Brothers, i mean any race we all need. Community. I did a lot of my own, but I couldn't do it all. Just like Vessel so was good to make a call. The most beautiful thing in the
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall Now, we can't be focused on hard news and big policy discussions all of the time. That's why we like taking a break occasionally to introduce you to Connecticut artists. Hartford native John Mansell Young is a multi-instrumentalist, a dancer, a rapper. He's known as Tang Sauce, and he joins us now in studio. Welcome to the show.
6: Thank you. Hi, everybody. How are you doing?
0: First off, Tang Sauce. Why that name?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great way to start. Um, So basically, I I was in... uh, middle school at uh, Bennett Middle School in Manchester. And uh, what had happened was there was a skit on the show called uh, Chappelle's Show that was called Wu-Tang Insurance, and me and my friends kind of emulated that because we liked the show a lot. We thought it was very funny and uh we started a little a little clique if you would named Wu-Tang. We took it pretty serious, you know, we ran around the halls and knighted all our friends and stuff like that and got them to be a part of the group, but then once I went to high school, that group kind of like faded and I was the last one representing it. So then people just kind of gave me the name Wu-Tang, you know. <laughs> I just kind of adapted that, absorbed that and I was Wu-Tang like all throughout high school. And then I started hanging out with another group of friends, and uh, they just shortened it down to Tang. And my friend Deuce, shout out to Deuce and XL, you know, everybody, you know, Money, Young, and Spiffy. And um, he said, Tang's got the sauce. And it just stuck, so I became Tang sauce. And then I was telling Lydia that... um, at one point it was even tang sauce with a dollar sign <laughs> but yeah we've gotten it shortened down and it's not tang sauce with a symbol for the s either it was literally tang sauce with a dollar sign like you know 15 characters maybe
0: <laughs> so you're 25 and mm-hmm. you're a hip hop artist what draw, what drew you to this genre mhm
6: yeah i pretty much had the uh the fortune of being raised in hip hop i i i was born 91 so i got to absorb a lot of Culture. I feel
0: really old now. <laughs> oh, no, no, no.
6: <laughs> no, I just say that to mark the time. But um, but, I got the fortune of being raised in what a lot of people call the golden era of hip-hop, or at least a portion of the golden era of hip-hop, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And I got to see the way that people carried themselves, the way that they acted, the way that they played the music, the pride that they had in the music, the pride that they had in the culture. and and And... The whole the whole vibe of it, and I I felt it, and from a very young age I knew there was something in it for me. I didn't know exactly what it was till later on, but I always knew there was something in it for me. And I had a great cousin, uh, some Shindo that like just put me on to like so much like hip hop wisdom and just like African wisdom and, and and just instilled like a a good uh, uh African pride in me at a young age, you know, which was important. And a lot of hip-hop from, like, that era ha- had a lot of that in it. So um, I was blessed to be able to have the, all that around me, and it and it was fun, you know. I, I actually started off, like, breaking, you know, uh, one of the four elements of hip-hop. And I uh, I did it a lot, and I loved it, and it was plenty fun, and I, it, it was great. But I couldn't say it was my passion, but then I started rapping, like, you know, like in 2010, and I could say it was my passion from day three. I never felt anything like that. And then I had great people to help me along the way. So it ended up really good. But I knew rap was my passion on that third day. I mean, always I had the ability to kind of like rap off the top of my dome, if you would. But that, when I really made that mark, man, there was nothing like that. I never felt a passion like that. So I've just been going at it. And I've been fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing.
0: So let's talk about your album, Maturity. yeah that speak to how you've grown as an artist and and who's inspired you
6: yeah 100 percent um so with maturity that was basically my way of speaking to my peers saying let's go hard let's not be mediocre let's go above and beyond like let's be great like there's a podcast that i do called mastery mondays with uh posh gibson and rico to god and you should everybody should check it out But on there, I was just talking about the other week, you know, I want to inspire people to uh, hop out of the river of mediocrity and hop in the ocean of greatness. And that was my message to my peers from maturity. I was saying, I see see a lot of people just doing, like, maybe one single here and there and then not doing anything. And then dropping, like, another single here and not doing anything. And I'm like, no, stop that. Like, make an album. Make a video. Make a stamp. Don't just be okay with being mediocre, go above and beyond what the bar is. The bar is only there because someone said it there. You might as well go above it if you want to actually do this thing. You know, it's kinda like, you know, if you're if you're gonna do this, go hard. And if not, then get out the way because there's people that want to go hard and you might kind of, you know, to make it tainted for them. So go hard. And I, and the more people that go hard, the better because it makes the scene better for everybody if there's more people going hard. It's really about uh, collaboration rather than competition. So mature, oh, I'm sorry, you're about to say well, something. Well, I'm thinking
0: our listeners are probably, we're teasing them. They haven't heard you yet. So can you, can you yeah. uh, to perform one of your songs at yeah. One Time for Your Mind? Tell us about it real quick.
6: Yeah, so One Time for Your Mind, there's a music video out for it on YouTube and it's a great song. Uh, the producer's name is Energetic. He's from Sweden. I found the beat on YouTube, and I was fortunate enough to get a response when I reached out to him. So I'm looking forward to performing this one for y'all.
0: This is where we live. And here's Tang Sauce performing One Time for Your Mind.
6: Yeah, on, dropped the beat. Hey. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Tang Sauce, baby. Tang Sauce. Now let's go. Uh, we turning up for WNPR right now. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Hartford, Connecticut, everybody. Let's go. Alliterations, an exhibition of my growth, the greatness catalyst be written. I stayed a lot with the little style miles Davis but I'm singing a lot grateful how you graced it I'm saying but ain't no How I'm saying but you can see easy I'm saying gang yang shattered with luminate dang all I'm saying yeah, is my means are deep I'm macking intentions important internally inside it, inside insight interpretive integrity outsource opposite aligns opportunity outside other, out of the outer lying objectionally set statements suggested so superficially them towards the thought thoughts top Tremendously Here's life for serving you So infinitely And no forever Never ends Like the Fibonacci One time for your mind One time for your mind One time for your mind One time for your uh, uh. Positive prerogative Steady I'm logging And sogging it when, when I commit Another intricate trick hit, shit Chatted with me And the audience Happens Cause I am out To astounded practice Time and dedication Put intuition in it Know my passion. Now, nah, all else surrounds it. I'm soon to be rooted on many y'all chips. Cause my rhymes milky way high, but my mind is grounded. Like a NASA fanatic, they almost pipe a can. How does this say spray painted 314 times up in their parents' static? Did it without permission, they're a paint. A fanatic, homie, you so grounded. It's actually quite tragic. Also, my mind's lines come rapid a rabbit. Unique flow, so you never had it. It's just a fact, it goes without bragging. So all my fly friends hop on the swag wagon. Yeah, I hop on the swag. Wagon. all my fly friends on the swag swaggin. Yeah, hop on the swag wagon. All my fly friends hop on the swag wagon. One sign for your mind.
0: That's Tang Sauce, a Hartford-based hip-hop artist, John Mansell Young, live Ooh. here on Where We Live. That was so good. Thank you. So that's off of your Maturity album. It
6: is. That's the first track.
0: So you mentioned that you were born in 1991. So 2017. What's the hip-hop scene like here in Connecticut?
6: Uh, here in Connecticut, it's. It's it's small and growing. Actually, I think now we might even be at a level we could call ourselves medium and it's growing and um, (laughs) it's blessed. We have a lot of people that are being leaders and stepping up to the plate and doing what they need to do to take things to the next level. I mean, there's a lot of different like sections going on. Like, you know, there's a lot of hidden gems, I'll call it like, you know, you got the new London scene down here that I didn't know about coming up in the Hartford scene. And then, of course, there's, like, the New Haven scene that you may not know about when you're, like, just coming from the A6O. And then we have scenes up here, like, people coming from, like, you know, Bloomfield and Windsor and Manchester and Hartford that they may not know about down there. So there's a lot of hidden gems out here. But I I, I just believe we all just need to collaborate and connect. And uh, the more that we do that, the more that we'll... uh, build more bridges and have more success for not only our generation but for the next generation of hip hoppers which is really the most important because I mean once you have the knowledge it's your obligation to spread that knowledge and uh if I can make uh the course of someone else's career easier then I should do that and I feel like the next generation is going to need that because I've I could probably um I could probably clear uh clear up a lot of their experiences you know.
0: So we're short on time. I know we just gave our listeners a taste of your music, but so we want to make sure that you perform one more time.
6: Yeah. Before
0: we get to that, if people want to see you perform live, where can they go?
6: All right, so I'll be performing at two spots. Um, on the 7th of March, I will be at Sylvana in New York City, so definitely come check me out, all the New York listeners, Connecticut listeners too. And then on the 30th of March, I'll be having a little party concert at uh, Stella Blues in New Haven at nighttime. So everybody stay attached to uh, Bang Dollar Tang, all social media.
0: That's Tang Sauce, again, live here on Where We Live. And you're going to perform, you're going to close out the show with That's Funk right there? Absolutely. Here you go.
6: Uh Uh-huh. Uh, saucy baby. Let's go. We about to turn up. Uh, it's maturity. You know, we having fun with it. Shout out, Air Redux. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Say, ah, that's funk right there, that's funk right there, you say, ah, that's funk right there, that's funk right there, you say, ah, that's funk right there, that's funk right there, you say, ah, that's funk right there, that's funk right there. Yo, you can't lie to me, I'm my primary source, what I'm speaking about is the funk of course, all the dope people in the place to be, funky, fresh, dressed to impress, ready to party, come along over here with me, and if you dig the vibe, let me hear you scream, in the place to Been. Now I know that you're alive with me, so let's go, let's, let's go to a solid place with so much soul. Getting down is the only go, go. Hit you your biz out on the dance floor, say ah. That's funk right there. That's funk right there, I say ah. That's funk right there. That's funk right there, I say ah. That's funk right there. That's funk right there, I say ah. That's funk right there. That's funk right there. I'm on point. Swag on flick, man. can you see I made the choice, made the choice to be this funkiest lifestyle. Yes, it's on my mind all of the time. And I know when the group is in the room, everything is all fine. I said, all oh, sookie, sookie, now you got to get down with your bad self. When you swing it to the mix, sound, no time to play with no delay. When you step up, you want to make a say, say, ah, that's funk right there. That's funk right there. I say, ah, that's funk right there. That's funk right there. I say, ah, that's funk. Right there, that's funk. Right there, I said, ah, that's funk. Right there, that's funk. Right there, bridge. Yeah, this is the bridge, is the song. This is normally where you see me get down. You know, I do a couple dance moves, get down for y'all real quick. But this is the bridge. Shouts to Error Redux, you know.